book two of mrs diamond this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org recording by judy mason mrs diamond by anne isabella thackeray ritchie book two chapter one beacon fires some say thy fault is youth one september evening a bonfire was burning high up near the summit of tarndale crag in the lake country the fire burnt clear with keen flames piercing the dying light the smoke went spiring gently into the air the fading sky was wide and tenderly serene above the moor and the lake below where the water still flushed with sunset came rippling against the rocks and the placid slopes of meadowland all about crowbeck place the chestnuts and the ash trees had lit up their autumnal bonfire of yellow and russet flame was it for the marriage of summer and winter or in honour of susanna's wedding day that they were flaring meanwhile crowbeck place the white house by the lake was making ready for its new mistress it stood with shining windows and new-mown lawns gleaming between gardens and meadows that sloped to the waterside farther on was balsover hall wrapped in an ivy cowl and also illumined with many windows repeating the west and then in the distant shadow rose friars tarndale the fine old home of the lords of tarndale all shuttered and abandoned the hills beyond tarndale were already in purple and shadow this upper end of the lake was still alight a fisherman's boat was patiently bobbing up and down and trying to complete its daily count of fish doomed from their cool depths into the frying-pans of the neighbouring gentry but the lights perhaps frightened the fish for the fisherman pulled grumbling to shore before recrossing the water on his way home to the village the people living in the houses along the lakeside came to their cottage doors and looked across the water towards the bonfire flaming on the opposite moor twould be for the colonel's wedding they said and they wondered what sort the new leddy was like mrs barrow the fisherman's wife standing in her doorway with the convolvulus hanging overhead and three curly-headed little urchins clinging to her knees told mrs tyson from the lake farm that she wondered to see the lights for her master told her miss bolsover had sent orders from the hay to do away with the bonfires the squire himself had faggots carted up but miss bolsover said she would nahay a bleeze mrs tyson a martial figure with a basket on either arm and a straw bonnet fiercely cocked replied with a laugh that it was nay to be wondered at if the family at the hay didn't favour the new wife considering their relationship to the old one and so the two voices chattered on gossiping peacefully to a romantic accompaniment of evening of distant echoes to the rush of the stream under the little stone bridge hard by mrs tyson was a sturdy cynic mrs barrow who was a peaceable woman taking a friendly view of people and events tried to find excuses for all miss bolsover might surely be a bit fashed she who had been a myther so long to the colonel's two children at the place 
and to mr charles at the hay as well it was hard to get all up to another miss bolsover herself such an uncommon spirited leddy mr jocelyn and miss tempy will be thinking they had no mithers says mrs tyson dryly with a hitch at the baskets mappin tempy'll be for takin a husband now her father's bringin home a bride some folk do make a fuss and a butterment says mrs barrow miss tempy and the new mrs diamond are grand friends surely why mrs diamond is scarce older than miss tempy herself more's the pity says mrs tyson sternly many a young lass will take an old man for his brass my jane were wedded wi old roger hathwaite if it had nay been for our warnings her feyther said he would tack the stick to her if she had anything to do with that old foxy chap eh but the colonel is a good gentleman and crowbeck is a pretty place said mrs barrow with flowers in the gardens and ripe fruit on the wall eh tim and the mother proudly patted one of her curly heads is tampy get us peering a nappin out at the garden says shrilly tim grinning and joining in the conversation and miss tempy's auntie come whoop and said we weren't to have em cries curly tom at the pitch of his voice and miss tempy she bade us rin hame quick with what we gotten oh miss tempy is a diamond and nay niggard like the bolsovers said mrs tyson with a last hoist of the baskets i shouldn't like miss Warhover on my head my goodness she will raise a rout to see the fire i dinna ken who can hae kenelled it mrs tyson's speculations suddenly ended in a sort of gulp two figures had come up silently mysteriously as figures do when darkness is falling it's well for you mrs tyson that you don't know said a youthful voice speaking in hollow tones nonsense mrs tyson cries his companion whoever lit the fire will get five shillings by coming up to the place and asking for me good evening mrs barrow i hope tom and tim have been good boys to-day and the two young people walk on a very young man and a very young woman the girl curdled in crimson active with a free determined air the youth a slim sandy youth with a red face and shabby clothes and gaiters he looks like a gentleman for all his homely clothes and ungainly ways where can't mr jocelyn and miss tempy were standin there i thought they were ghosts cries mrs tyson and she strides off to her own home somewhat crestfallen meanwhile the brother and sister had stopped for a minute upon the bridge down below and stood breathing in the peaceful evening even eager young souls just beginning life are sometimes a little tired and glad of the approach of twilight with her starry steps and resting sights colours dying workaday noises silenced one by one natural echoes sounding clearer and more distinct night approaching they could hear the fresh roar of the torrent dashing against the weed-grown rocks below and then the sleepy chirp of the birds overhead in their nests and the rustling of branches 
and far-away echoes of dogs and lowing cows travelling homewards the scattered cottages along the stream were lighting up their lattices one by one the flowers were giving out their last evening perfumes before being blown out for the night as the sunset died away out of the sky the distant bonfire seemed to burn brighter and brighter so mrs tyson doesn't know who lit the bonfire says tempy with a laugh <laughs> she generally knows everything joe how could you frighten her so people mustn't say we didn't want the fires lit it seems disrespectful to papa and to susanna too jocelyn diamond didn't answer but hung over the old stone parapet with his hands in his pockets whistling the hunting chorus out of the freischutz i wish you and charlie would not whistle from morning to night cries the suddenly indignant tempy you let everything go on you allow papa to be insulted you don't interfere when you ought to speak you leave me to bear the brunt of it all you never said a word this morning when aunt fanny countermanded the bonfire and you just stand whistling and think that is all you have to do in life cries the sister jocelyn looked at her with an odd half-amused expression and a gleam in his blue eyes i'm sorry you ain't pleased with us tempy we quite agreed with you but you and aunt fanny made such a noise it was impossible to get in a word we did our best and-and it wasn't george tyson who lit the fire you can give me the five shillings if you like what you tempy cried confusedly but the fire is over there on crowbeck crag and you are here joe i came over in the fisherman's boat just before you met me said her brother look there's charlie's beacon lighting too and as he spoke another gleam began to shine on one of the further peaks like a bright red star rising against the dark line of the moor oh joe what will aunt fanny say cries tempy half terrified half triumphant uncle bolsover will catch it joe answers philosophically he always does joe and tempy diamond walked on without another word along the road that leads by the head of the lake to bolsover hall and to the place beyond the hall their steps quicken as they reach the park gates but they are encountered by a stout shadowy agitated figure evidently on the lookout for them here you are at last been looking for you everywhere heard you were in the village says the squire mysteriously and hurrying up terrible upset up here most distressing tempy you can soothe your aunt go up at once there's a good girl she's hysterical we don't know what to do with her my wife has sent me down for jeffreys that mistake about lighting up the beacons has quite upset poor fanny good heavens there's another of the damned things cries the poor squire catching sight of the second illumination tempy conscious stricken turns to her brother can he have the face to laugh oh uncle bolsover i'm very sorry says joe you mustn't mind my laughing i'm really very sorry i thought my father would wish the bonfires lighted as it is the custom down here perhaps aunt fanny won't whine so much if i go and tell her it's not you i mean that we that charlie and i joe was getting somewhat confused 
the squire stopped short looked from jocelyn to tempy buttoned himself up tightly perhaps you'd better let tempy explain says the cowardly bolsover you you might come with me for the doctor joe no i'll have it out says joe setting off running up the sweep as hard as his long legs could carry him he did not stop to ring but hurried in by the back way and by the familiar passage to the door of aunt fanny's sitting-room which charles bolsover used to call the harem teapots coffee-cups the cure-stands salts fans eau de cologne every soothing appliance seemed scattered in disorder about the place the curtains were drawn to keep out the odious reflection of the lights without miss bolsover was lying back with her sister-in-law mrs bolsover and two ladies maids in attendance who is it what is it are you dr jeffreys screams the invalid wildly joe walks in half penitent half defiant and without further preamble confesses to his share of the catastrophe once more miss bolsover goes off into genuine hysterics to be thwarted in any way always upsets her nerves she says all the cats and dogs join in the melee jocelyn diamond at a sign from mrs bolsover leaves the room and as he opens the door the gleams of the bonfires throw the shadows of the hall windows in great checkered squares upon the marble jocelyn says mrs bolsover following him you had better go after your uncle and tell him at once of your inopportune rejoicings you have done enough to upset your aunt even without the agitations of this ridiculous marriage and do try and hurry up jeffreys he is never at home when he is wanted says mrs bolsover going back to her harassing duties some very good people have a singular fancy for speaking severely of their neighbours for whom if the truth were known they feel no very special dislike mrs bolsover generally and upon principle blamed every one and everything and yet it was but a habit of speech she was one of the meekest of women aunt fanny used rarely to blame but to praise with many adjectives and exclamations and yet somehow she was not meek and they were all afraid of her her fat hand ruled bolsover hall as well as crowbeck place for mrs bolsover who had married late in life never assumed the reins of management at the place colonel diamond naturally turned to his late wife's sister for sympathy companionship and advice he trusted mrs bolsover who was his own sister but he was a little shy with her they were too much alike both serious sincere reserved people feeling much but holding back where miss bolsover did not fear to rush in as for the squire the master of the house the head of the bolsover family he was a fact rather than a person he paid the bills shot the pheasants went on the box when it was convenient he turned a lathe and had also steered a small steamer on the lake at one time but this was not considered safe by the ladies and the squire was made to return to the mainland again he could photograph a little 
he was passionately fond of waltzing the young ladies were still glad of him as a partner in default of younger but not more active men mr bolsover liked dress he twirled his mustachios he walked with a curious dancing step he was called the squire by the country people uncle bolsover by joe and tempy frederick by his wife and sister uncle bol by charlie bolsover his nephew who was supposed by many people to be the heir perhaps few people in this world had ever given less trouble to others than this kind and friendly little man many of us may have laughed at him but all who have known him have had a kindly regard for the squire and yet it must be confessed that he was a coward that in the presence of the vemgericht in the boudoir he scarcely dared show his own amiable predilections among which must surely be reckoned the good will he felt for the pretty young bride now expected at tarndale End of chapter one